On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Kevin Hammer. Kevin uh, is currently on the USGA Executive Committee, and for this past year, he's chaired their championship committee. Kevin grew up in South Florida, um, and uh, I think it's fair to say was immersed in the game at a young age. His dad, Lori Hammer, was an All-American player at University of Florida, um, and his teammate was Bob Murphy. Um, Bob Murphy uh, is Kevin's godfather um, and next-door neighbor um, when Kevin was growing up in Boynton Beach. Um, His dad, uh, after playing tour for a few years, uh, became director of golf at um, Delray Dunes Golf and Country Club, uh, where he was also the club pro. So uh, growing up on a golf course with your dad as um, the head pro and uh, your godfather being Bob Murphy, um, you're going to be immersed in golf. And Kevin was and um, you know was very successful as a junior golfer, first team, AJGA All-American in 1989, um, and uh, played the University of Florida. And then... Um, uh, sort of hit the work world, uh, where he has been at Merrill Lynch for several decades in wealth management, uh, but continued to um, play in a number of uh, noteworthy state and national amateur tournaments while um, building his professional career in South Florida at Merrill Lynch. And, um, you know, over the last uh, 15 years or so, he's been given back to the game by first serving uh, with the Florida State Golf Association, where he, I think he joined the board in 2009 and ultimately um, served as president in 2021 to 22. And the last few years has, um, as I mentioned, been on the USGA Executive Committee um, and chaired their championship committee this past year. So we talk with Kevin about all of that and his accomplishments at the um, FSGA and USGA and also take a look ahead at sort of what he sees as some of the opportunities and challenges for the USGA as we look forward. So up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Kevin Hammer. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I'm so pleased today to be joined by Kevin Hammer, who is um, on the USGA Executive Committee, has had a long uh, and continuing career in the game, uh, which we'll talk about. Kevin, thanks so much for making time to speak with us today. Thank you, Larry. It's a privilege to be with you today. I uh, appreciate it. So just to sort of give folks a little bit of context, um, maybe kind of wind the clock, go back to the beginning a little bit. You um, grew up in Boynton Beach, and you know I know Florida's grown a lot lately, but you guys have deep roots in the state, uh, unlike some. And uh, But maybe talk a little bit about growing up and, and um, at what age you kind of uh, got introduced to the game and how that all got started in this great game. Sure. I could sum it up by saying I was one of those uh, young kids that while he was pretending to be home studying, he had the textbook open and you know, there's a golf magazine folded inside of it. So that's, that's what I grew up reading and <laughs> grew up around the game, grew up around the game, uh, had parents that were both in the golf business. And yes, Florida has changed a lot. We're one of the few families uh, that are natives of that uh, area there in Delray, Boynton Beach, Florida, Southern Palm Beach County. And uh, we've remained living there ever since. 
And you, you, you alluded to your parents, of course, your dad, Lori Hammer, you know, uh, quite a career, um, all American at Florida. Um, and I think you guys grew up, uh, Delray Dunes where you not only live, but he was director of golf for 40 plus years, um, played the PGA tour. I think you guys had Bob Murphy as a neighbor. Uh, so you definitely surrounded by, to, by the game. Um, and you were very successful. I mean, you uh, sort of maybe talk a little bit about what your competitive career was like as a junior. I know you were successful because you were first team AJGA, um, which is uh, not a small achievement with people like David Duval and Justin Leonard in your class at uh, um, as a All-American at AJGA. Um, so I take it you sort of Obviously, a lot of talent. You competed statewide tournaments, national tournaments. What was that like? Well, I did. You, you've obviously done some research. I, I did grow up uh, about 200 yards from the clubhouse of the golf course and club community that my father was involved in starting in the late uh, 1960s. It was Pete Dye's first design in Florida, and he lived just a mile or two down the road. Uh, my father and Bob Murphy were teammates at the University of Florida, and uh, they both moved into the club at an early stage, my father building the first house in there, and they remain living in that house now. Almost 60 years later, uh, they're still living in the same house. And so wow. I literally grew up right there with Murph next door, who's my godfather. And uh, I was just very fortunate to grow up in and around the game uh, on a daily basis and met all kinds of wonderful people and learned early on what wonderful lessons that th this game can teach people. I grew up working in the game, picking the range and slinging bags and working in the cart barn at uh, nine or 10 years old. And I just, it was a fantastic way to grow up and uh, squeezed in a little golf when I could and played some junior golf there. And then my father was involved in starting, a, uh, getting involved in starting another golf course in Keystone, Colorado in the summers. So we were out there from 1980 to about 1993 and um, four months a year in the summer, it was 9,500 feet. So only a four month season. So I think this is, you know, and looking back, this is really how I grew up with just a great deal of respect for everyone in the golf business and everyone that makes golf accessible to people on a daily basis. And as you well know, Larry, it just takes takes an awful lot of people and um, well-meaning, good-intentioned people that that bring this game to the masses, and whether it's at the club level or the the regional or state level. And uh, I know you grew up in a somewhat similar fashion, yeah. playing golf at an early age, and. Yeah. And around the game. So I'm sure, you know, you can relate to that. Um, but I was just very fortunate to grow up that way. Played some high school and uh, golf in Florida and played uh, summer junior golf in Colorado and uh, had a little bit of uh, success at that time and uh, played my played golf through school, kind of put myself through school playing golf and and uh, got married and, uh, you know, had some uh, had some children on the way and went to work. <laughs> so um you did you played uh went to the university of florida uh, you know where your dad had uh, gone and uh played for the gators i think buddy alexander was probably coach back then and um i know you uh, i think they you guys won the ncaa's uh one of the years you were there in 93 um what was it like sort of playing in college, I mean, it's got to be, you know, you're trying to balance all the different, you know, you got school, you got golf, trying to travel, try to practice. Um, what was that sort of like? And I'm, I'm sort of curious, kind of as a second part of that is, did you ever 
think, particularly with your dad, that you were going to try to make it as a player professionally? Or did you always sort of think, oh, I love the game, but that's not a route I'm going to take? Well, I always loved the game and always knew I'd be involved in the game in some way, shape, or form. I think uh, a lot of college coaches, after uh, some success, you know, at the AJGA level and state and regional level, um, going to college, I think a lot of college coaches presumed because my father went there and played golf there and my godfather went there and played golf there, right. that being Bob Murphy, that yeah. I was naturally going to go there as well. And and the way that the way it ended up, that did turn out to be true. Um, I think looking back, one of the great parts of that whole experience were just, again, the relationships that had been made at that time and a number of which continue to this day and, you know, friends and friends and golf are, are like nothing else. You may not see each other for a few years, but you reconnect. And when you do, you reconnect quickly and the game just uh, continues to bring uh, people together, which is wonderful. Our team had a good bit of success. It uh, had a really good run. I didn't play my best golf in college, but actually redshirted the year in the middle of uh, my mm -hmm. college career the year that uh, the team, our team won the NCAA championship, but we did win a, a couple of SEC championships on top of that. So it was a very good uh, run for the team, which was wonderful. And it was nice to see them uh, back at the top of the NCAA this past year. Uh, it, had, it had been some time. So it's good to see them on the up and up again. And and I know one of my old teammates, Dudley Hart, who's there with JC Deacon is, is, you know, together, uh, that's a pretty powerful combination. And they're making that happen, which is, like I said, very good to see. Um, as far as continuing on after college, Coming out of college, like I said, I wasn't sure what I'd, what I'd do. I knew I wanted to be in and around golf in some capacity um, and uh, started interviewing at Merrill Lynch. Um, and then at that time, um, wasn't sure what I was going to do for that year or so out of college. Went to work for some of my father's friends in the golf industry in varying capacities. Mm -hmm. And a few months here, a few months there. And I think a large part of me almost felt like I had already had a career in the golf business because I did. <laughs> grew up working alongside my father and mother in the business. Um, so I decided to go into finance and uh, investment management at Merrill Lynch and very glad I did. And it's been great for our family and I have a great passion for this and great partners. Uh, but I did stay local here in Southeast Florida in doing so. And um, in a bit uh, more boring than most, I've been at Merrill Lynch my entire career. So I mean, I, I noticed that you're, you're, that's impressive. <laughs> that that's usually a good sign. And you're now, you know, an MD at, uh, at Merrill Lynch, part of BAML, of course, and, um, or, or what's part of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, as it's called now. But um, so you've had a great career as a wealth management advisor there um, your whole career. Um, and, but you've sort of, you know, kept in the game and we'll get into sort of some of the F uh, the Florida State Golf Association stuff in a second um, in terms of the administrative side, but you kept in the game as a player. It sounds like you played in, you know, a lot of significant amateur tournaments over the years. I think I saw seven FS FSGA event victories. I think I saw three mixed shootouts with a pretty good stick uh, that you were playing with, uh, multiple <laughs> women's mid-amateur champs. Um, and it sounds like you played in a bunch of USGA events as well. So it sounds like you've um, been a pretty active player at a high level to be playing in those type of events all these years. I always enjoyed competing. And uh, yes, when it comes to the to the mixed team events and the four ball events, you, you know, as you know, Larry, you got to pick good partners. So, so I had good partners. I was with alongside my oldest daughter, Alexa, for a few of them. Um, and then Megan Stasi, who's, a part of the family, it seems, uh, for many, many years and a great friend. Uh, she and I had some success as well. But 
Um, so I kept my hand in a little bit. I, I, I thank some good friends of mine in my mid late twenties after not playing much golf for a little while and getting my business career off the ground, mm-hmm. uh, kind of getting me back into the game in a playing capacity and, and was again, very fortunate and, um, was able to play in some of the really nice invitationals, um, in, you know, throughout the country and, and did that for a while. I haven't done much in the last 10 years or so, but I still do enjoy competing on a, on a, um, even though it's an infrequent basis, I feel like, uh, and now, as long as you keep your expectations very low, you're pleasantly surprised sometimes on the upside. But, um, <laughs> I, and I think I was, you know, uh, you mentioned the FSGA and I had some good friends that really wanted me to get involved with the Florida State Golf Association. And I quickly found just, I think, in part the way I grew up and seeing some of the back of the house of the golf world as well as the front of the house, so to speak, I I started having even more fun with the events that we were creating um, as opposed to playing in them individually. So I just had a lot of, it was a big source of pride to get involved with the FSGA and such great teams of people there and get a lot of uh, new initiatives off the ground, new championships and, and new golf events around the state. Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So you joined, I think the board in 2009 of the Florida state golf association, obviously one of the great golf associations in the country, big one, as you would expect, Florida being such a big golf state. You got on the executive committee, you served as president for a couple of years, more recently, 2001, uh, 21, 22. So you've had quite a run there. You look back now uh, on those 10 plus years, a little more than that. What do you sort of see as kind of um, your most notable accomplishments at the FSGA during your time there as you look back on it? Well, it's a, you know, again, just big teams of people that make these things happen. So um, the FSGA is the largest and most active state golf association in the country. They take pride in that. There's nearing 350,000 members across the state. They run 650 plus tournament days a year. So at any one day, there might be three different events going on at the same time around the state. They do all of that with a staff of approximately 30 people. And and the way they're able to do that is, you know, Florida is very fortunate as you, as you know, we have a lot of uh, golf savvy people that are retiring to Florida. So we've got a, a pool of the most wonderful volunteers that, still want to give back to the game that, you know, has given them so much throughout the years. And that was really a source of inspiration for me to, to get involved with the FSGA. But we, we had a lot of activity um, throughout my time there. Of course, it was over a decade, but we merged the Florida state women's golf association under the umbrella of the Florida state golf association. Uh, That went very smoothly um, in, in large part, thanks to just a lot of key people around the state yeah, men and women. Uh, we created a number of new championships. We, uh, while I was there, we created the uh, Florida Senior Women's Open. Mm. Uh, created a state foursomes championship just to introduce a, a, a different format, a fun format uh, that's ongoing and, and very popular. We uh, initiated a Florida State Hickory Open for Hickory players. Oh, really? Uh, that's you know, kind of cool. I like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> just, just there's such passion in so many pockets of the game. And as you know, there's just, it's such a big game and it affects different people in so many ways and a lot of different ways to play this game these days. So that was something that we saw the writing on the wall, whether it was more social golf, alternative golf facilities popping up. It was just, uh, you know, proud to be involved with a lot of that. We did created, uh, really expanded the number of one-day net events uh, Mm -hmm. around the state throughout the year, which gives access to a lot of nice facilities uh, Mm. to 
to people throughout the state um, at a different, uh, you know, again, a different level of golf, so to speak, not necessarily championship golf, but these are net one day events for a lot of people uh, that enjoy those throughout the state. We, um, the Florida junior tour is wildly popular. It's like the AJGA of Florida mm -hmm. and uh, doubled the number of FJT events around the state. That's a wonderful junior tour. And, um, and then in the mix of it all, Jim Demick, who really grew the organization to, to what it is today, had a long tenure as executive director and, uh, he retired while, while we were involved and, um, uh, we created a proper foundation finally for the FSGA that, that he, uh, is now the head of. And we oh, nice. uh, promoted a, a senior executive team of three people to lead the organization, Jeff Magadish, who's now the executive director. So I guess this is a, a long winded way of saying you know, I've got a lot of passion for the state and regional golf associations around the country. And there's, as you know, there's 58 allied golf associations um, that work with the USGA and really the USGA couldn't do nearly what we do without those AGAG, those AGAs, the state and regional golf associations and all the volunteers that they, that they help provide to the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we had uh, Emily Palmer on recently who, that's one of part of her portfolio at the USGA and talked about that and, and uh, certainly echo that. And I see it out here as you guys at the USGA are having um, kind of a run of championships in Southern California, obviously this year, the U S open and, and the U S women's amateur next year, the girls are coming junior amateur. You've got a whole, I don't know the number, but we've got Riviera, I guess in 26 for the, uh, um, U.S. Women's Open, a whole bunch, and and the SCGA, which would be the relevant AGA out here, certainly um, works with you guys to help uh, implement those things, volunteer and stuff. So I totally, I see it firsthand out here, and I know that goes on at the relevant AGAs all around the country, and um, uh, they play a super important role for sure in a, in a lot of things. Um, speaking of the USGA, so you. Um, uh, get finish your presidency i guess in 2022 but you know you uh as as you were ending your presidency of the F fsga you get on the um you're elected to the executive committee of the usga how did that sort of happen and come to pass just curious and 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 what's that been like for you um part of that i wish i knew the answer to that question i think <laughs> i think i think that uh I, you know, t in all honesty, I was getting kind of excited when my tenure at the FSGA was coming to uh, a close. And I was thinking, all right, now I'm going to have free up a little bit of time to start practicing and playing some golf again. And and, um, <laughs> and surprisingly, and, and uh, uh, the USGA called and and I'm so glad they did. You know, already a couple of years in time does go by quickly. Yeah. And um, they're just such professionals and such a impressive and wonderful group of people again, that are, you know, that make golf accessible, that, that, that administer these championships that govern the, the game. And it, it's just uh, inspiring at every level. I think, um, I think my, my service to the state and regional golf association community, those allied golf associations uh, is really what, what drove that um, mm -hmm. transition to the USGA. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, that along with, you know, some background of, uh, just being involved in different aspects of the game, obviously. So it's been uh, it's been an amazing run, and um, and I, and you know I look forward to to getting involved this next year. And you're right, we've been 
coming to your coast as we, as you and I are speaking coast to coast here, we've been, uh, we've got a lot more activity coming to California. As you mentioned, we've got the girls junior coming to El Caballero and next year in 2024. And then, you know, quickly 2025 will be here. We've got the Walker cup at Cypress point. We've got the amateur right. at Olympic. We've got the women's mid amateur at, um, uh, a very nice venue there as well. And we've got the senior women's open coming to San Diego country yeah. club. So, so hopefully you and I'll get to see more of each other here soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's always good to have you guys out here and it's wonderful to have some of our courses, uh, you know, be honored with those kind of events and, and, um, you know, and I, I want to talk a little more about it because one of the, you, you have a few different portfolios at the USGA, but you chaired the championship committee, um, during this past year. So that's a particular interest. And, um, it must be interesting. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects to talk about with that, but I kind of was thinking, I mean, you were a competitor in USGA championships, um, and now you're on the other side of the table. What's it like for you? I mean, you must sort of bring a particular um, skill and viewpoint, um, actually having been, been a competitor in these things now that you're cheering. And obviously, you know, I, you, there's a tremendous staff. You talked about it, and they're all stellar. And obviously, John Bodenhammer is chief championships officer. So I know those guys are doing the laboring or work and you're, you're just sort of cheering the committee from a board level, but just sort of curious uh, kind of what it's like for you sitting there, <laughs> watch these competitors when you were on the other side of the table, not too long ago. Yeah. I don't know about other side of the table. I do feel very much at home in, in that championship venue environment, uh, as you mentioned, and it's very true. I, I just continued to learn so much from the, executive leadership team of the USGA and all the all the staff teams there uh, from the agronomic uh, side of things to the production uh, to the actual uh, setup of the venues uh, I'm continuing to learn and and, and uh, it's always changing and you're always learning and it's uh, just fantastic but it does in some ways remind me uh, in certain aspects uh, going back a number of years to when I was a kid and uh, whether it was uh, my father playing in a tour event or uh, a major championship, uh, in his case, that would have been uh, one U.S. Open and a number of PGA championships or mm -hmm. uh, or tagging along with Bob Murphy while he was broadcasting and he's in yeah. the booth or, or in the tower <laughs> out behind number 10 at Augusta National, yeah. which he yeah. used to do. So, you know, it, it does uh, bring back some really great memories and it makes me feel very appreciative for being able to be uh, – involved in the game at a, at a young age. And uh, again, more than ever, just appreciate uh, how big the game is, how it affects so many different people in so many different positive ways. And, and again, we just all thank all those people out there that, that uh, are working to bring this game to everybody uh, for very good reasons. So you just let a little nugget there. I'm going to go pick on a little bit. So I have memories uh -oh. of Murph uh -oh. announcing, <laughs> you know, behind 10. And I have two that come. If I was thinking of Murph and and those announcements at 10, I'm trying to think if you would have been there. So um, the ones, the two that I remember the most was mm -hmm. Crenshaw's monster long pot um, that Murph announced. And then, of course, you know, who can ever forget 86 when... <laughs> You know, Jack Birdie's nine, ten, and eleven, including a you know in the middle there that curling putt on ten, probably twenty five, thirty, not as long as Crenshaw's, but probably a twenty five, thirty footer. And Murph announced both of those. Were you there for those, or what? What? When were you there? I'm now curious. Un unfortunately, not for those. But as you okay. know, he did a lot of broadcast work. Yeah, and, he did. Uh, and and he had a 
he just had a wonderful career, uh, tour career, broadcast career, kind of in the middle, and then Champions Tour career. So uh, the timing for him worked out very, very well. Yeah, for sure. He was he was tremendous. Um, and I remember him, you know, I grew up in Connecticut and GHO was one of his PGA Tour titles. And that was the tournament we all went to growing up in central Connecticut. It's very cool that not just obviously more than a neighbor, godfather and a, and a close friend. He's had quite a great career for sure. Um, the championship stuff. And and again, I, um, I, I know that, you know, that there's a lot of folks and a lot of aspects that go into this, but I'm just sort of, even at a general level, you can sort of maybe talk about um, how you guys think about site selection um and you've got so many championships you know we all focus or a lot of us focus on the u.s open but there's what 15 championships something like that there's a lot of different ones and you go all around the country to all of them um uh how do you sort of do that that's a lot that's a big plate to fill right because you've got that many championships every year and for a number of these particularly at the u.s open you're you know committed quite a bit out into the future so just curious anything you can talk about on that Sure. Uh, there are 15 national championships, uh, the newest one being the Adaptive Open, which is right. just that was great. incredible. Yeah, uh, we're, a couple, we're a couple years in on that one. And I'll tell you what, if there's any one championship you might recommend to people to go be a spectator at for for even just a few hours one day, let alone a few days, it might be that one. You will It will make uh, anyone that is in doubt will feel very, very good about this game again by watching that championship. It's for um, sure. It's just incredible to see these athletes and what they're capable of. But yes, 15 championships uh, servicing, you know, juniors, uh, amateurs, professionals, seniors, men, women, uh, all across the board. In addition to the cup matches on top of those 15 championships, whether it's the Walker Cup or the Curtis Cup, and then obviously the USGA's partner and a number of other uh, tournaments as well. uh, The Latin America Amateur Championship being one, which will be in Panama in January. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, some others uh, around the world. So uh, it's a full slate. Uh, one of the great things has been just the increased interest that we've seen over the years, thanks in large part to a lot of work uh, done by those in years past. Uh, you know, this is all just momentum that builds on a multi-year basis going forward. And um, increased interest in hosting these championships, uh, every level of these championships. Uh, you know, it probably wasn't that long ago that the USGA had to had to ask clubs to host certain championships, whether it be a boys, junior, amateur, mm-hmm. uh, or the like. And now um, we're so fortunate that uh, people see the good in doing so, I think, more than ever. And they're coming to the USGA saying, hey, can we get involved? And it's one of the messages I love to, to give to the members of some of these clubs that we speak to, Mm-hmm. when we're hosting championships is that, you know, we want them to know it's about so much more than the one championship that they're hosting. It really does uh, resonate throughout the golf ecosystem, throughout the golf community. It gets other clubs thinking about getting involved, uh, giving mm-hmm. back to the game, whether that's hosting a, a local junior event or a local junior clinic or a state championship or the like. It's um, It really does resonate. So when you have some venerable venues uh, let's say Sleepy Hollow this past right. this past year hosting the mid amateur, and I know you had Stu Hagstead on recently. Yeah, yep. you know, um, very deserved champion there, and uh, we were there with him. But you know, we wanted Sleepy Hollow, for instance, to know that 
I mean, th- it's about so much more than them hosting that one tournament. It really does uh, get other clubs and other people in golf thinking, you know, what can we do uh, to give back to this game? And that's kind of the beauty of how all of this is related. Um, but in, in recent years, uh, the partnership with certain clubs for the Open Championships, the the U.S. Open and the U.S. Women's Open is um, it's got such an impressive list of venues. Yes. And it's very satisfying to see the U.S. Women's Open lineup and all the women's championships lineups um, <laughs> arguably be better than the men's um, over the next uh, 10 or 15 years, which is uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, I just want to echo that last point in particular. Um, you know, we had Allison Corpus on. We've had we had Amy Alcott on, who, of course, was you know, involved with Riviera. And um, it is an impressive list of venues, you guys. And, you know, including Chicago golf, which, you know, for us architectural uh, geeks, you know, that's that's a special one in, in particular. And I know you had the senior women's open there recently, but it's, um, uh, I mean, you know, Pebble, Riviera, Miriam, Oakland. I mean, it is, you don't get any better than that list. And you guys have upped the purse a lot in recent years for the women. It's, um, it is great to see for sure. Um, and more to um, come. Stay tuned. More to come. <laughs> I'm sure there is. And <laughs> I will just, I will just sort of say, you know, uh, uh, for people who may be listening when these championships come to your, neck of the woods um uh and and uh, you know the, the week i had out at bel-air this summer for the women's amateur was just i i was fantastic um because um you know some of these tournaments um again we all think of the u.s open and the women's open and those you know those are the biggies uh deservedly so but um some of these other ones like the women's amateur you know, you can, the, the crowds are moderate. You can walk with the players. It's, it's just a fantastic experience. Um, and, uh, I really, I really had a great time at Bel Air, which, you know, was a great host. And I know they, they pride themselves on doing the amateur tournaments and, um, have, have done them in the past and will in the future. You mentioned the Walker cup, which, you know, gives me a little bit of entree to kind of venture outside the U S uh, a little bit. You guys were in St. Andrews this year. And um, I know that must have been fun for you, your daughter. Uh, you guys have, you and Karen have three daughters and Alexa, I know has a lot of golf talent. Uh, you mentioned her, as you know, some of the FSGA events you've played in and um, she went to St. Andrews, which is a great university and played there. Um, and, uh, and you guys, you go over to Scotland, you were there, I'm sure for the Walker cup, as I said this year, what's that like? I mean, and that must've been a pretty neat experience having a daughter play for the university of St. Andrews. She, she had a wonderful uh, run there. She spent all four years going to school there and yes, played on the competitive golf team. It's an interesting model there. It's quite different than here in the U S system uh, over there. It's a mixed team of boys and girls. Most of the matches are, are well, they're match play almost exclusively, not metal yeah. play. And the boys play the girls and vice versa, obviously. And, uh, the, the ladies might play one set of tees up in front, but it's a head-to-head match straight up against the boys. And wow, I didn't know that. They, they obviously take great pride in taking the boys down. And uh, <laughs> it, they traveled all throughout uh, Europe and the UK, and it was just a really magical experience. But as you you know, just being in the town is magical. And yes, yes. the Walker Cup was our great friends and, and partners at the RNA. Uh, conducted just uh, the most exquisite Walker Cup, and of course the the backdrop there is not too bad. Um, yes, <laughs> the, the only the, the only the only thing you might pick apart is that the weather was actually too good. 
Um, and I'm, and yeah. I'm not kidding. You know, it was a, a little bit funny to think that these young men, uh, maybe other than Stuart Agastad, uh, it was their first, well, many of them, it was their first time to Scotland. It was their first yeah. experience with Lynx golf. And, uh, and they had weather that looked like uh, it was out of Southern California and, um, they're, they're going to come home and think, you know, that was it. That's Lynx golf. I mean, they didn't, I'm not sure they got quite got the yeah. true experience. But... Yeah, I would have, I, I, I know I would have liked to see Gordon Sargent, the rest of them have a little bit of win. What's the Scottish expression? If there's no win, that's no golf. Right. Uh, right. And, at, uh, at least one day, at least one yeah. day with all four seasons in it, uh, which is pretty <laughs> typical. So, but it was just magical. And, um, as a result of the weather being so good, the crowds were uh, incredible. And uh, yeah, that one will be tough to beat. And then to your mention about Bel Air earlier, yes, we'll be back at Bel Air for the Curtis cup in 2026. And uh, that's right. going to be equally magical, I'm sure. And uh, just a one, another wonderful venue on the, on the docket. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned Cypress point, you know, that'll be just great. I am uh, very, very interested to see how they tackle Cypress Point. And it's wonderful that Cypress is uh, doing that. Um, Cypress Point is doing that for that tournament. Um, the, there's, um, a lot to look, yeah. there's a lot to look forward to. And, yes. And, you know, you mentioned this earlier about how wonderful those, whether it's the amateurs or these cut matches and, and yeah. how you're able to walk the fairways with the players. Yeah. And it's almost as if you are playing the golf course alongside them you get a really get a feel for it. And it, it just harkens back to, I think a more pure side of the game. Yes. And the reason I mentioned that is I believe there's just an opportunity for those uh, types of championships to become more and more popular going forward because uh, you know, there's no, there's no discussions of prize money. These are right. amateurs playing for the, for the love of the game and representing their country oftentimes. And, and uh, it just is such a, such a pure experience and uh, gives you a taste of what it, what it must have been like, uh, you know, many, many decades ago. Absolutely. To totally agree. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was a wonderful experience uh, for me. Um, you know, I'm, I, I sort of root for the Stanford Cardinals. So being able to follow Rachel Heck all those days and, you know, I thought she was going to get there, but she had a great run, but you know, it's, it's, you know, her dad's caddying for her, you know, I'm walking with her mom and her boyfriend and talking with them. It's, it's just, it's, it's a wonderful environment and, um, and some great golf to see on a, on a great venue. So I, I agree with, I'm, I'm looking forward to going. I know I was out at El Cab a couple of weeks ago and they're all excited already for the um, juniors uh, for next uh for next um, summer and um, that'll be a great tournament there. And um, uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Um, let me um, kind of just uh, maybe Kevin, get you out of here on this and kind of look to look forward a little bit, um, go back to sort of the USGA generally. Um, I know um, from talking to you guys and listening to you uh, and, 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 uh, you guys as an organization pride yourself on, you know, you're obviously stewards of the game, but looking forward, um, you know, not what's good today or tomorrow, but what's good for the game for the next 25, 50, 100 years. Um, and it's great that you guys do that. We need that uh, role played and you guys do it uh, super well. Um, and, and in so many areas too, I know we're focusing on championships because, is sort of you chaired the committee, but you know, whether it's agronomy, you know, obviously doing the handicapping stuff too, but there's all the turf research and everything, the green section, there's a lot of ground you guys cover. So um, 
but just sort of curious if you can kind of, as you look forward, because uh, the USGA does is a forward-looking institution, kind of what do you sort of see as the challenges facing the game and how we keep growing this great game going forward? I love it. You know, you mentioned how many different facets there are to the USGA and the, the team of people that uh, that make golf happen. And you're you're exactly right. It's almost it's almost so big and so vast that it's difficult to message. And our CEO Mike Wan, who's uh, fantastic, you know, has uh, come up with Unify Showcase Govern in advance. And there's you know trying to trying to put certain aspects of the organization into certain buckets so as to better message. Um, the the breadth and depth of what the organization does. And I think that's resonated quite well. But in addition to those core services that you mentioned, whether it's championships or the rules or the handicapping or the green section, um, looking forward, uh, there are a number of, a number of challenges uh, and a number of opportunities. And um, in my own mind, I tend to bucket them into maybe, uh, you know, a resource and uh, management you know we hear a lot about uh, environmental inputs and uh, mm -hmm. being able to better manage resources on an ongoing basis going forward uh, again the team at the usga has their 50 15 30 45 model you know where over the next 15 years millions of dollars will go into an effort to reduce water consumption by 45 percent very important mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know but in addition to just overall resource management i might add you know talent management um, whether that's agronomic talent or, um, you know, uh, professional club, professional talent, just re just being able to uh, keep uh, good people in the business. Um, USGA has a number of uh, initiatives that are helping to facilitate that, whether it's the Boatwright Internship Program mm -hmm. or the or the more recent Pathways Internship Program, which is affiliated with the U.S. Open. Uh, highly successful, both programs and in, in kind of uh, exposing the game to to some really bright people that uh, a number of which will will stay in in golf in some way, mm -hmm. shape or form. That's what we want. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I think alongside that, just the growth of uh, how many people have been exposed to the game and retaining them into the game will be a challenge, um, something we're working on actively. You know, as you well know, you've got more people now playing golf at alternative type facilities than traditional. Yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. For, for the first time ever. And it's just uh, the numbers are quite staggering and it's yeah. wonderful. And, you know, there's a pretty steady transition of those people into the more traditional game each year. That's looking like it's going to continue. That yeah. bodes very, very well, but making sure we retain uh, those golfers, um, granted, we've had to, you know, expand the definition of what we call a golfer. And I'm not even so sure anymore. You need to play golf uh, in order, you know, in order to be a golfer. But uh, meaning if you're a consumer of golf content in some way, shape or form, you know, then we have an interest in you. Yeah, because you obviously have an interest in the game. So right. retaining all those new people that have been in the game over the next many decades for the USGA and for the other governing bodies and for uh, just golf associations in general, uh, that, that should be a priority. And I, and I think it will be um, just, and then just really the retaining the social rebranding of the game that we've seen, you know, it's, it's popular. It's considered cool. Now you've got uh, people from all walks of life, loving this game, maybe more than ever before. And they're able to showcase that and message that to the masses through 
so many social media channels. Uh, we don't want that to, con- you know, to to taper off. We want to continue that. It just is going to expose more people to the game in great ways. But alongside that, you know, also retaining the the goodness of the game and 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 the sense of gratitude in the game and the ethics and the values and the, the moral character that the game uh, tends to teach most of us. Um, so I think that I think these are all things that, um, well, I know they are that we we discuss and uh, but I think that these will be some of the challenges and opportunities. There's with every challenge, there's opportunity and right and these are these are these fit both sides of that equation. But uh, and then just you know continuing to show people what a great connector this game can be. Um, I was told a long time ago by by someone that was in golf for a long, long time. He said, you know, it's a big, big game. And I, and I go back to that a lot because it truly is. So you mentioned all the many facets of the USGA. They're just many facets of the game in general. And, and uh, we're here to celebrate those and then make sure they continue. And uh, they're just a, people out there should know they're just an awful lot of well-meaning people that give of their time and their energy uh, to further this game along. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what's so beautiful about it. For sure. And, and you know, listening to you, agree with all that and listening to you, I'm sort of reminded talking about um, giving back and, and growing the game and broadening, you know, this the type of folks who play this game. It, I'd be remiss if I didn't remember, uh, mention the uh, Maggie Hathaway project that um, here in Los Angeles that you guys at the USGA um, partnered with. LA Country Club and the SCGA and um which is a facility Maggie Hathaway's for those who don't know is a facility in um uh sort of south central area of LA um and um uh Gil Hans has volunteered to sort of help refurbish it but you guys are obviously in that partnership with LACC and the SCGA a big part of making that happen um that's a great thing I mean I know you know it's U.S. Open is a big thing. You guys come here and and that, but that's a nice, and it was great. And, you know, wonderful championship. Wonderful to see LACC North back uh, uh, in, in um, you know, well, I should say well, wonderful to see the U.S. Open back here after 75 years. But um, that's kind of a, uh, that event comes, spend years planning it, then it's over. But the Maggie Hathaway thing is a permanent um mark that uh you guys uh with your partners leave and i think that's a great thing well we're trying to be a more uh, partnering and collaborative usga and that's just one great example um, a lot of great partners involved in that project i'm uh, going to be hugely successful uh, but it's part of the reason that uh, we're going to the venues we're going to in the way that we're going to them over the coming years because we're really establishing nice partnerships not just with the clubs themselves, but with the community, with the other golf organizations in the area. And uh, I think you're going to see more of, of those types of opportunities come down the pike. You know, another, another um, real opportunity that comes to mind over the many decades to, to come for the USGA is our new um, golf house in Pinehurst, yeah. which is a multi, multi-acre multi complex that's coming out of the ground. And I, we're excited about that. It's really going to put the USGA front and center you know, in a, in a hotbed of golf. Um, yes. And one, and one of the real homes of golf in this country. And it's, it's going to feel good. It's going to work well, but it's going to feel great because you're, we're just in and amongst the people there right. in a great way. And I think um, just from a messaging point of view uh, and a partnership point of view, um, I think we're going to be able to, 
do a lot of good things there, whether it's uh, through the testing facilities that will be there or the World Golf Hall of Fame and our office space and our teams of people. Um, that combined with the golf house in New Jersey, it's going to be a powerful combination going forward. Yeah, I agree. I am. Um, I know the World Golf Hall of Fame is moving from Northern Florida to there, and um, uh, that'll be cool. Um, and of course, you guys have a wonderful, I've never seen it, but I know about it, that wonderful museum in, um, in Golf House in, in New Jersey. Wonderful stuff, I know for sure. Kevin, listen, I really appreciate your time. This has been terrific. And and thank you for, you know, everything you do, um, you know, both you were at the state level for many years. Now you're at the national level with USGA and um, uh, really appreciate uh, all you do and for uh, making time to chat with us today. Larry, thank you for what you do. And, uh, and I mean that. And uh, it takes it takes a lot of people and all of us to, you know, further this along and since we ended on Pinehurst, I'll, I'll leave you with a favorite uh, Donald Ross quote. Yes. That, uh, a number of my friends have heard uh, maybe maybe too often, but we still love it. Donald Ross uh, in the 1920s said, once a country gets golf minded, you need worry less about the honesty, honor and integrity of its people. Nice. So uh, I thank you for for doing what you do to help more and more people become golf minded and uh, appreciate all your efforts, Larry. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a great Thanksgiving.